Welcome to Your Property Podcast. I'm Ant Lyons, founder of Your Property Network magazine, and I'm joined by, of course, she's here again, and Harry Hello. Darwin. Yeah, hello. <laughs> Didn't forget about did. me this time. <laughs> I never forget about you. I just sometimes choose not to introduce you. So uh, it's great to have you back. And um, today uh, we're joined by a property investor friend of mine, and um, we met at uh, an event. Oh, probably about eight months ago, nine months ago, something like that. And he really casually just sort of mentioned a project he'd done. And then we looked into it a bit more and it was stunning. And so we wanted to go back and catch up with him. He, he's, a, he's an amazing guy and he's justifiably hugely proud of one of the projects that we're going to talk about today. Um, so very long introduction. Welcome to uh, the podcast, Simon Roberts. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So Simon, we, we met at a course, at a property course, didn't we? And, you know, just sort of chatted over lunch, really. Yes. Yeah. There I was uh, tucking into my chicken tikka masala or whatever it was, minding my own business. <laughs> and this young gentleman came up, said, mind if I sit there? And um, the rest, as they say, was history. But um, Harry, we dragged you along to that one as well, didn't we? Yeah, um, that was the one where we had to get up. I remember I was up at half past three in the morning, I think. Oof, yeah. Yeah, you've been moaning about it ever since. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we're going to talk about uh, the, the project that we featured within, uh, within one of the editions of YPN um, some months ago. And if sure. uh, people are listening to the podcast, and you can download the full article and check out Simon's amazing project. And that is at your um, yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff. stuff stuff forward slash stuff there we go so um let's just talk a little bit about it again the reason i really really love this project is that it, it does a number of things it, it firstly it couple it couples great design um both I, I guess both sort of um aesthetically no it looks amazing but also smart clever actual design with really good business sense as well and that's something we don't often see um, sometimes from property investors sometimes we can take the approach of you know magnolia on the walls do it as cheap as possible stick someone in there and that is probably the polar opposite of your approach in this project would that be fair to say uh thank you yes yeah i agree totally okay um and the other the other reason is that you know it's it's a, a financial you know success it works really really well for you it enables you to um free up some of your time to do the stuff that you're interested in and are really really passionate about as well as property um and also it's kind of creative in the way it's put together so it's one of those projects that you know we literally it stands out you know from all the ones that we talk about saying it kind of ticks every box so um it's it's called it's now called Sugarloaf House, isn't it? Is that right? Correct. Yes. Not very imaginative because once upon a time it was a pub called the Sugarloaf. Now I, I've seen the pictures of it pre-works, yes. and it would be fair to say it was a little unloved. Uh, yes, that's putting it mildly. Uh, <laughs> after being a pub, it was derelict for four years. Then they turned it into an Indian restaurant for two years. Then it was derelict for five years. So unloved is a bit of an understatement. Okay. Um, and how did you find out about it? How did this kind of come onto your radar? Just through networking. I mean, I, up, up until that time, um, I was quite happy to plod along and do nice, safe, 
you know, residential conversions into medium-sized HMOs. And, and it was, you know, I was in my comfort zone. It was great. And then I was at a networking event and I was talking to someone and they said, um, have you thought about doing bigger? And of course, you, you, you just say yes automatically. And they said, well, I, I've got this property. Would you be interested in looking at it? So again, I said yes. Um, and I went and looked at it and I, I sort of, you know, was standing there with my legs and knees shaking and trembling a bit, thinking, my goodness me, this is massive. Um, and he said, so how about it? So again, I said, yes, I was pushing the envelope a bit. And we sat down and over a series of a couple of conversations, we agreed, um, as you said, it was a bit creative, this one, we went to a lease option because I said to him, look, I, I just can't buy it off you straight away. So fortunately, the, the guy owns a, a number of properties. And so this was not a new uh, convention to him, the lease option. So that's what we struck upon. Okay. And so how did that work? So you were, it was a lease option. So you were going to still put the money into to do all the work without yes. actually necessarily owning it at that point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously there's a legal contract drawn up that says I have the right to buy it over X amount of years um, at a given price after each amount of time. Um, and I also, you know, vouch that I will pay X amount of lease per month. So the money, the pot of money that I had could go, as you quite rightly said, onto the, the refurbishment itself without having to find the finance or the cash to buy it. Obviously, when the project was finished, it was then commercially valued. Um, and, on, and the product that I took out basically bought the building on in one on one day and at the same time then reverted to a long-term product so it was done in two stages but over the over one day by the company so i never had to lay a, a penny out for the actual purchase okay cool so it's we love the fact it's a kind of creative structure in terms of that sure. um, <clears throat> in terms of purchase so but so we know, we get it, it's a, a big lump of a building and it's mm. you know as we say unloved forward slash derelict um yes. could you see uh do you have a vision from it when you just stood outside you said your knees were shaking and all that kind of stuff could you see what this could be uh Yes. I mean, look, this is a, I, what I'm going to tell you now, uh, I've told you before, so it won't come as a surprise, but I, you know, I have my secret weapon who is my, my beloved wife and she's the one with the vision. I just go around and break things and build them again. Um, but even I could see looking at the size, the structure, the fact how it was laid out, the, the amount of land it was on. Um, I could tell that this was a, this was going to, this could be a good one. Um, and basically, you know, after that, that's when I brought in the big guns and said, right now, what can we do? And so she worked with the architects and what have you. Um, but yeah, anyone could see who is in this game, in the property investment game, that this would have been ripe for development somehow. Okay. And what about the kind of planning challenges and getting the sort of change of use from a, was it pub or an Indian restaurant at that point or former um, into a, 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 an HMO, into a sort of residential dwelling? Um, sure. Did you have any concerns at that point? Okay, well, generically, I already knew from being in the area that I am and also doing research that the council are very keen not to have empty properties. Um, it, it doesn't sit well with their regeneration. Um, 
so that was good. But also a, a quick check on the um, on the council website showed that there had been planning agreed for various things over the last few years that for whatever reason I was not privy to never went ahead. So I knew that the council were receptive to, ch to a change of use. And the first thing I actually did was I contacted the architect who got the last planning permission for whatever it was um, through and spoke to him about it and said, look, gut feeling, what do you think? And that's how we went from there. So I, I like, I'm still, I consider myself still new to this. So I like to de-risk as much as possible. So I wouldn't have signed on the dotted line if I'd had no idea if I could do this or not, because it would have been too big a burden financially. So by having the knowledge of the area with the council policy and also speaking to someone who'd actually worked on the property, that was good enough for me. Okay. So and then said, it was... Oh. Go on. Go ahead. <laughs> um, you said that the council was very supportive and um, you managed to get planning through relatively easy. Did you have any... Um, were there any concerns or objections from the locals? Because I, I, I think that quite a lot of time... If you if you hear that you're going to have a was it twelve bedroom fourteen bedroom yeah. HMO people are afraid that it's going to turn into some sort of ghetto or you know so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah li listen um, my view is you know you you turn on Channel Four nowadays and there's even a program called was it called Slum Landlords and Rogue Tenants or something yeah. there is a perception that if you are buying a property just to rent it out that you don't care about the environment people or anything I get that a lot and there is actually not an action group but there's a group that's um, prevalent in the area on Facebook where anything that happens in my in my area that I'm uh, investing in they mention it you know so they might say you know a new rail terminals being built or this that the other or the football grounds being knocked down blah 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 and somebody actually put up there on on this website oh, I see the Sugarloaf is being redeveloped into an HMO. So cue the, the tirade of negative comments. Oh, we're going to have drug dealers. We're going to have this and blah, 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 and all of that. And I just sat back and I thought, well, I'm not going to get involved in this because I know that they, this is as far from the truth as it is. Um, as it happens, the Sugarloaf is currently, I'd say, about 90% occupied by doctors, nurses, radiographers, um, easy jet pilots, um paramedics so it's quite a, what i would call a nice wholesome um community yeah. um so there was there was nothing official there was no complaints <coughs> excuse me on the actual planning there was nobody actually wanted to or was bothered or found a way to um make reservations they just this was just done unofficially through this chat group so i could tell that there was a few people in the area that weren't happy um However, when the Sugarloaf was finally developed, it suddenly went very quiet and no one was saying anything. And I'd like to think that because at one moment, Ant, you said you saw the pictures of the before, there was this rather horrible eyesore on, the, on, on this high street. And the next minute, it, the area looks a lot nicer. Um, so, yeah, there was, there was no real, nothing official, but you, whenever you do something of this size... I think you're going to get a certain amount of reservation in the area because of what people associate it with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask about is when you put a dozen or more people living in a building together, mm. um, it's really easy, even with 
Even with two people living together, there could be friction, can't there? So hopefully saying that out of earshot of my wife. Um, (laughs) But, you know, if you put a dozen dozen or more people living together, it it can be really easy for them to not necessarily rub along that well. Um, Mm. So I'm interested in what decisions you made from a design point of view that would ensure that I guess the sort of flow of the house would work as well as it could and that you know it would be a really pleasant place for people to actually live together sure okay Uh, by far the easiest or the fundamental thing to mention is because of the size of this project or the size of the building we wanted everyone to have lots of space that's first and foremost um I could actually probably have probably got another three four rooms in there but that's not what i'm about that wouldn't sit well with me um as anyone who's seen the article from the pictures will know you know the rooms are huge to put it bluntly they all have their own communal space within their rooms um so they have a lounge area obviously all the rooms are en suite um and then they have a nice sleeping area so first of all in terms of things like ablutions and what have you, everyone has their own space. I personally, I've got nothing against shared bathroom facilities, but it's not, doesn't sit well with me, so I will never do it. Um, so the first thing is I've given them lots of space. Then when it came to the design elements, um, I very much over-engineered things like sound insulation. I don't want the guy next door in, in room two to hear the guy in room one playing his music, listening to DVDs or what have you, or whatever they do nowadays. Um, so the sound thing is very big for me. You know, I, I can't stress enough, and I've said this to you beforehand, that I wouldn't do any of these projects anywhere where I wasn't happy to live. And it has to sit well with me what I'm doing. Yeah, so, I think that's so important because I've seen, I'm not going to mention any names, but I've seen, you know, people on Facebook and they show th- some, they show a picture of their project. And I just think, would you, would you live here? You know, why would you expect other pe- your tenants to live somewhere where you wouldn't live yourself? So, uh, well, I, I, I have a slightly different feeling to that because I always think there's different markets for diff- there's different products for different markets. So, you know, I, I, I get that, but I do think actually, from a satisfaction point of view, to be able to create something which you're genuinely proud of and you can look on and say do you know what i think this is this is the best i could do that is the the true sense of achievement isn't it saying you know and i actually now that we're doing this kind of interview some months on from when we we initially spoke and the project's been up and running for a while is there anything you would have done differently looking at the property now do you know that's a really really good question and it not because i necessarily have an answer but because I want to take the sugar loaf and make my next properties even better. And I, I go around the sugar loaf on a, on a fairly regular basis because I like to do checks. I like to make sure I want to be showing tenants that if anything's broken or fallen off or something that we're dealing with it before someone has to contact us. So I do regular checks and I walk around it and I, Sounds a bit silly, but I do have this warm glow when I walk around because I think this really is as, as good as I could have done with the knowledge I had. And the, the fundamental things for me, for, for people who are living in one of my properties, are that it, it's, it's safe, it's clean, it's dry, and it's pleasant to live in. And the Sugarloaf for me, by far, 
matches and exceeds all of those um, sorts of parameters. So the only thing I think I would do different, not differently, but I wouldn't do again, I might not do one so close to a main road, which I know sounds strange because obviously sometimes if, a, if an absolute peach comes up and you can't decide where it is, you might have to just go for it. But we really had to spend an awful lot of money on sound insulation with, with the type of windows we put in and the sound external sound insulation and so on and so forth. So yeah, I think the only thing not very exciting and afraid I would change is I would, I'd love to go for somewhere maybe a bit quieter next time, but the actual design elements that you're asking about and no, I wouldn't change anything. No. And um, when we were speaking offline early on, you said you were saying, you know, if I could have another sort of few of these, that would be perfect for you, wouldn't it? You know, to, to sort of replicate this model um, because this, this one just works so well. Happy tenants, um, you know, no void periods. And we'll talk through some of the financials in, in a sure. bit. Um, can you see, is that a possibility? Can you see you, yourself doing another Sugarloaf? Oh goodness me! Yes, bring me a, bring me one tomorrow, Ant, and we'll, and we'll okay. crack on. I'll go um, out now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know, well, look, it, it was my it was my first big project, um, so it should have technically gone wrong. I should have had issues. I should have had overspend. It should have overrun time wise. It should have done that this, that, and the other. And you know, I'm keen not to sound cocky because I'm certainly not. I'm grateful that everything came in on time, in budget, what have you. And perhaps it, because it was my first big one that I was so fastidious, probably out of panic more than anything, to make sure everything ran smoothly. Um, but the end product, I just, it's, um, it's by far exceeded my expectations, financially and otherwise. You know, I go in there, I'm on first name terms with the tenants. They're happy, they love living there. I'm happy that they're happy. You know, why not just replicate this model? And, and let's just talk through some of the financials and we're not going to, this isn't the point where we go into all the, you know, the depth of what you spent on all of the fittings and that that's all in the, in the article for people to download later on. But so the, the purchase price of the, of, of the property was about 285,000, I think. Wasn't Spot it? On. Yes. And, and how much did you have to put in, you know, financially to, to getting it to look like this? And it looks stunning. I'm looking at the pictures as we speak uh, mm-hmm. now, and there's some really cool little touches, which, um, uh, you know, you know we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, but so how much, how much did this take in, in terms of money and time and blood, sweat and tears? Sure. Okay. Um, blood, sweat and tears. I, I can't quantify that. Let's just say a lot of that. Um, I spent as much on the refurb as I did the purchase of the property. Um, a better man, a more, more accomplished developer, investor, whatever, might have brought it in 10% cheaper, maybe even 20% cheaper. I mean, I'm not sure. But I was comf- comfortable spending that money. I knew the figures. I knew what the uh, roughly the, the final refinance valuation would come in at. I wasn't going to leave any stone unturned in terms of putting money into it. As I've said to you before, I really over-engineered the, the sound and the insulation, the two big ones for tenants, you know, noise. And, and in the depths of our cold British winters, it had to be a nice, warm, cosy property, even though it was that big or is that big. Um, so, yeah, I spent as, as much on the development, basically, I mean, give or take, as I did the actual purchase of the property. Okay. And... Um, <clears throat> 
I want, there's so many questions that I want to go through, so I'm going to rattle a couple off and sure. cover them, whichever order you want to. So I, I, I want to understand how uh, you knew what it would be valued at at the end, because no one wants to spend more money on the property than it's going to be worth no. at the end. So how you got comfortable with the commercial valuation and also how you went about managing the build, because um, it's really easy. I honestly think as you move up sort of onto bigger projects, your relationship with the builders can change quite a lot and it can become um, definitely from my experience, a bit more sort of them and us sometimes as you move into sort of bigger contractors and project managers and all that sort of thing. So how you uh, made sure that it came in on budget and how you developed a good working relationship with your builders. So should we just deal with the, the boring finance bit first? So how did you know what this thing was going to be worth at, at the end? Okay, um, it was there was there was an element of licking your finger and holding it up in the wind. However, speaking to fellow investors in the area, um, some of a couple of whom I knew quite well, so I knew it weren't going to steer me down, you know, an incorrect path. The general rule of thumb in in my area was that valuations were coming back, give or take, circa about ten times your gross income, annual income. Um, but I wanted, again, with my sort of risk-averse nature, I wanted to build in a little bit of redundancy there. So I, I took that sort of figure. I looked at the rents at the time in the area. Uh, I knew I could get those rents and a bit more. So I worked up prudently on the lowest rents. I took those figures. I did the, the, the computation. I took a bit off and I thought, right, uh, what would I be willing to leave in the project if I had to? I took that into consideration. So every every parameter... Every variable, I was being as prudent as, as I could be. So if the worst case situation happened, then I would be happy or comfortable with it. And once that had happened, basically, <coughs> excuse me, um, I decided, right, that's what I'm willing to spend on the project. Um, and as it happens, as you well know, uh, you know this worked out very well. I, I got great rents, I got great valuation and ended up leaving no money in the project. So... <clears throat> excuse me it was very much just the looking at the worst case scenarios and being happy with it okay and and in terms of um getting the right builder on the project because uh you know it's really easy to not get the right one sure. and, and this will be a step up for some uh some uh, uh contractors out there so mm. how did you go about finding the right builder for you for this project okay um <clears throat> Excuse me. Again, I'm very lucky to be part of this, as we call the property community. So you, there's always someone you can ask for recommendations or what do you think of this person? What do you think of that person? Once I've got a formal tender document made up, I did put it out to tender. And I, I and basically I spoke to, I'd say, five or six builders. And I'm a people person. So fundamentally, I had to feel like I got on well with them first. So that was a first. That was my first sort of way of narrowing down who I wanted to take it further with. Um, that went down to three builders, and after that, obviously, I asked them to submit their best prices, what have you. I then, I was keen not to just go for the cheapest one because we both know that can sometimes lead to a, a catastrophe. So I sat down and said, "Well, look, what does this constitute? These prices, so on and so forth." And eventually, there was one that stood head and shoulders above for me. I liked the way he worked. I liked his history in terms of size of projects he'd done. And for me, most importantly, I liked the fact that when I said to him, I'm going to be a very hands-on client, i.e. you're going to see a lot of me, didn't phase him. And that's how he got the job. 
interesting. And what was the time scale on the build of this? Okay, the time, well, it ended up being, I think, about around about eight months. We were pretty much there or thereabouts. I think we ran over by, I think it was days. Um, but in the time cost quality model, I, was, I said to him, the most important thing for me is the quality. Then obviously, please try and keep it in on budget. Um, which we did do. And I said, and then if we have to overrun, then we have to overrun. I don't want it rushed. Um, and for various reasons that were outside of our of our power, yeah, as I said, it ran over by a negligible amount that I was happy. I was happy with it. So that was fine. Okay. And, and who made, makes the decisions on the kind of the little interior design touches so i'm looking at the the pictures at the moment you've got that that really cool wall where you've got the sort of pop art yes um uh wallpaper mural whatever it is on the wall it's it's very very kind of modern and hip and i guess um you know real clean design as well so how do you come up with those and is that influenced by who you think your target market is going to be? Or, you, or are you just saying, do you know what? I love this design. I'm going to put it in there. And, and therefore, I think other people will love it as well. Sure. Um, most of the design elements are done by my boss, um, who also <laughs> happens to be my wife. Um, she, she has a background in art and design, so that's a no-brainer. Um, I won't ask her to pick up a hammer. She doesn't ask me to try and make things look nice. Um, in terms, uh, as it happens, everything I've done in there I love, but, you know, I was very keen not to make it my my dwelling because what I like, you might not like, and Harrod might not like. So way back in the day when I was going around the property education circuits, you know, I was learning as much as I could. And they were saying, you know, generically there's about five, not levels, but different types of HMO markets. So from the local housing authority right up to the boutique and professional and what have you. And I knew from the word go that my, I wanted my market to be the young professionals and we've been able to keep to that. And there's a whole load of good reasons why I wanted that to happen. But essentially I, th I, I thought, well, if you're a young professional, what do you like? You like court, you know, sort of corporate, but fun. You want it a bit, um, I can't use the word groovy, can I? Because it's not the 1970s anymore, but, you know, funky or something. So, uh, that word, that word's probably come back a few times since then. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. We had a millennial meeting the other day and nobody mentioned the word groovy. So. Okay, well, can, I, can I just put it out there then, please? <laughs> I, I motion that it gets uh, brought back into the English language. Uh, groovy. Um, okay seconded <laughs> thank you yeah, so no I, I you know i wanted to get that balance of professional but oh i can't use the word now but you know funky groovy sort of yeah hip happening um yeah and i had that I mean, desire it's a really really cool place you know and uh and Harrod, as our resident young person <laughs> i'm sure you would kind of i'd be interested to get your take on it because you probably you, you, you know harry's looked at loads of sort of projects that we've done and it, it interviews with and, and also projects that are out there at the moment she's kind of viewed so what do you think works particularly well on it um and Harrod? i re it i really like it because it really stands out and you've sort of made it you you've gone the extra mile to make it feel like home and well i don't i can't speak for everybody but for me that's really really important um and sort of you've you've made it i don't really know what the oh, how best to describe it um, I don't know what I think. I think that's actually it's quite really an interesting point. The spot there. It's, I know, I know, aren't I horrible? But I, I think that's kind of interesting in its own uh, right. That you know, 
it's sometimes it's difficult to explain why we think good design works. Um, and then we instinctively know that it works in the same way that we instinctively know when it doesn't work. I was looking at a project that someone had done a while ago and um, I looked at it and I thought, whatever it was about it, it just jarred. It just didn't feel right. They just hadn't had an eye for it, um, which is why I'm probably never going to be left to do the interior design on any of our projects. But, I, think, but, I, think I, just, I just knew it didn't work. You've, you've like successfully managed to make it look cool without trying too hard to make it look cool or trying too hard to cater to the, in inverted commas, millennial market. I hate that word. Sure. <laughs> no, it's, so, it, it, it's, it's okay to say cool, but not groovy. No, I hate, I hate the word millennial. Um, uh, okay. uh, yes, yeah, so you've made it, it looks really good, but I think it looks good because it's, you're not trying too hard to make it fit in with what people think that young people want. Okay. Uh, and um, <laughs> happy, happy tenants. Simon. Happy tenants. Yeah. Happy tenants. Um, they all seem to be happy whenever I pop by and say hello, you know, they're all just getting on with it. And, um, I mean, I suppose you really, you definitely, you definitely know when they're not happy. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And because of the nature of, of the tenants, um, a lot of them work as medical staff, as I alluded to just down the road, a lot of them are doing shift work. So you've got guys coming in at ridiculous hours. And of course, doctors and nurses who work 400 hours flat and then like have about half a day off and that's it. They need their rest. So even that, because we knew the proximity to the hospital and who we wanted to get in at the time, that was something in the back of our minds with, again, without wishing to, to sound like a broken record, making sure the place was nice and quiet, nice and warm, nice and cosy. Um, and the proof of the pudding is it seems to be working. Absolutely. Um, so proper nosy question now, because that's the job. No worries. Um, you, you spent you know, over £600,000 sort of buying the building and doing all the work on it. And um, I'm just having a look at the figures now and I think it, it got revalued at about 845000 sure. What does it do for you um, on a monthly basis, sort of financially in terms of putting money in the bank and enabling you to kind of free up time, I guess. So, you know, let's be blunt about it. You don't have to get a job in exactly. inverted commas. And, um, I was driving. I was driving this morning. Uh, earlier this morning, I was thinking, God, "What were you doing driving this morning?" It's as as we're recording this. It's quarter to ten. So where were you going? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm currently in Mike. Mike's my business partner, and I'm at his house. And I got here about eight o'clock this morning, and I've been up and walked the dogs and stuff before then. So uh, yeah, I'm the early bird. Remember, so <laughs> yeah. uh, pretty, pretty, pretty much hopeless after about two p.m. But anyway, um, I was driving this morning thinking. You know, what would I actually, if I had to go for a sort of, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and he said he was redoing his CV for a job mm. interview. And I was thinking, I, don't even, I wouldn't even know where to begin doing that now. Do you still put your GCSEs on there? I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. How oh, no, yeah. So, um, so, you know, what does this, this property deliver? It's a very long question, isn't it? In terms of financially, monthly, which means you don't have to do that. Sure. Okay. Well, I think, and you're, uh, as you said, you've got the article in front of you and I am working yeah. from memory here because again, I let the boss deal with the financial side, but I think we are netting 
And that, let's face it, that's what everyone's interested in when they're doing this. We're netting like circa three, three and a half thousand a month. Does that sound about right on this one? Something yeah. like that. Um, so look, that's £42,000 a year, which is a decent salary. You know, I, I, theoretically, I could have just done the Sugarloaf. It would be weird to do just the Sugarloaf when you've never done anything smaller. But I could have done that and went, right, that's my salary. And I'm, and what people who aren't in our industry don't realise is it's sometimes it's not what you earn. It's afterwards how little you have to do to earn it. So you put the time and the effort in at the, at the beginning. It's a very front-end loaded uh, industry we work in. You put the time and the effort, you do your best. But because I've done my best with it, I get no complaints. I get no issues. No, you know, minor little niggles every now and then, but that's just running a household with so many people in, and that's fine. But those are the, that's the bottom line figures. And I, I probably attribute, I don't know, an hour every couple of weeks towards the Sugarloaf. Not because I don't care about it, but because I don't need to. Um, and apart from my regular checks that I do in the communal areas and then fire alarm testing with the, with the company and what have you, I don't have to touch the area. We have cleaners that go in and make sure the externals and the internals are all clean and tidy. So, yeah, that's it, basically. I was about to ask um, whether you self-manage or you've uh, given it to a lettings agency. I am a horrible control freak. <laughs> I, I, I'm still very much small enough that I can, you know, sort of humor my, my, my disability as it is, you know, that I have to be in control of everything. And so I'm happy at the moment with my portfolio being small enough to go around, do the regular checks, just make sure, um, because let's face it, no one can do it as well as I can in my head. Yeah. Um, there were, there, you know, there might come. And I always think it's, it's, it's also no one's, it's also no one's going to care as much as you no, do. Absolutely. That's probably it's, it's it's not it's not that no one could do it as well because you know there's there's, there's good people out there who could manage properties, but no one's going to care about your tenants in the way that you do, and no one's going to care about the building as much as you care about it. Exactly, spot on. Because it and I've broken a cardinal sin. I I care too much. Everyone was saying to me when I was getting into this, you have to switch off. You you mustn't care. You know, not saying don't care about the people, but don't care about the projects in terms of you know, if somebody messes a room up or you know you walk in and your newly painted walls have been scuffed with people moving in, bringing their baggage and what have you. But I do care. I I'm I'm proud of the product. I'm proud of all my projects, but this one especially. Um, and so I go around and I, you know, I will be seen with a little pot of paint if there's a scuff, just touching it up and what have you. And uh, they, they live in the best kept dwellings I think probably they ever have because there's always this strange little man walking around with a paintbrush or a screwdriver or something or some cork or, you know. Hey, and you know I, what? I think that is is really well, for me personally, it's really hard not to care too much because you know you're the one that's invested your time and your money and you're the one that made it pretty in the first place so that these people can have a have a great life um so i think caring too much is a good thing if anything i i don't trust the people that say it's bad to care so it, it is good but it's also exhausting because you end up worrying too much about all the little details um you know oh i never filled that crack the other day when i was there so what the house isn't going to fall down you know it's just natural settlements it's a new development but i do sort of make this mental checklist of things i want to do where other people are going well why are you doing that that will just come around in normal maintenance you know in a year's time 
so long as everything's working and so on and so forth, you know, take a chill pill, but I don't. Mm. <laughs> and um, I, I guess we do a lot of interviews with people who are in this sort of HMO market, HMO landlords. And one of the things that um, definitely has come up probably over the last sort of two years or so has been the increased levels of competition in an area. Um, mm. You know, more and more people trying to get into it. And they're, and they're, this does link back because, you know, some of the people who don't necessarily care as much about their buildings are sort of chasing the market down you know they're they're dropping rents to fill the rooms and um that's a sort of you know catch 22 situation they continue continually have to do that sure um has your your project stands out and and i'm assuming um well you don't get those void periods but is it something you've seen in the sort of wider hmo market in your area absolutely i mean uh, Obviously, I can't comment on other areas, but in my area, there are a lot of, how do I put this politely? Um, Landlords that don't care as much. Mm. Um, And you can see that. And our local HMO officer spends a lot of time working on enforcement cases, and that speaks volumes. And those of us that do care about our properties and the people that live in them, he he loves because he knows he can sort of issue the license and forget about us until the next application. Um, Our our rents are the higher end of the scale for a reason. And if you come to view one of of our rooms, first of all, you already will have done your due diligence and seen it's the higher end. But when you get to our property, I feel you'll be vindicated in coming because you'll see just what you get when you come and see the sugar loaf, as opposed to some of the other stuff that's out there. And there's lots of other nice stuff out there. I hasten to add as well. The market in my area, I've seen price rent prices dropping and dropping and dropping. So as the market, as I explained to you earlier in my area is going up for purchasing rents haven't just sort of stagnated. They have dropped a bit. Okay, and so the the pressure is on to deliver a, a quality product that that stands out. So you're not you're not forever sort of chasing the market down because that comes with other problems, doesn't it? You know, you the the more you drop the rents, you know, you can drop the quality of tenants that you're attracting and all those kind of things. And what runs really efficiently now as an hour every couple of weeks, it can become a real headache if you have problem tenants and, and all that sort of stuff. So it sounds like you're, you know, you're kind of working hard to stay at the very top. And I wondered how much the design and the input of uh, Sugarloaf has um, uh, influenced your subsequent, subsequent um, HMO investments. So I know you're doing some, some other stuff now, which is not as big, perhaps not on the same scale, but mm. do you stay, take the same approach of over-engineering on those smaller projects as well? Absolutely. A hundred percent. That, that is my, my sort of mantra is, you know, attention to detail and over engineer, if you will. That's how I feel, <coughs> excuse me, comfortable doing it. And I always will. I'm in this for the long term. So if I have to take a small hit at the moment, cause I'm spending a bit more on developments or I have to spend a bit more on purchase price and subsequently my rents are slightly lower. That's fine. It's not going to change my model of doing the absolute best design wise and engineering wise that I can because you know these will hopefully one day go to my son so that's a long time down the line so i'm in this for the long haul so if the figures aren't absolutely amazing at the moment 
they will be one day because as you know as the loan to values get better in my favor as things get paid off and values go up as the the cycle the rental cycle goes back up again it will all come good so at the moment while i can afford to do it i'm not craving making the best margins the best profits so on and so forth i will just keep doing it how i want to do it so your current pro um i don't actually we haven't spoken about what you're doing now but i'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you're still sort of doing um hmos correct <laughs> yeah um are you still over engineering uh, everything and sort of adding in the extra facilities like the uh, the boiling taps and um making sure that the kitchens are big enough to uh, I, was it was it you that had two sinks two fridges Oh, yeah, I, the, the sugar loaf has just got the kitchen is huge. I mean, you could play five a side football in there if you <laughs> wanted to. And it's got two well, it's got four fridges, two ovens, two microwaves, two sinks, um, two hobs, two extract fans. You know, so well, first of all, that's HMI regulations, but secondly, even if it wasn't, I would because you know, it just makes common sense to do that. But with these two smaller ones, yeah, I'll be doing exactly the same, I'll be putting as much. Of the um, of the finer touches, should we say, in to attract that professional market? Absolutely. Okay, so as we kind of, uh, I guess, get towards the end of the podcast, but it's always nice to know what you know. Is, is there a, is there a sort of um, bigger plan for Simon Roberts? You know, are you working towards a set goal in terms of income or numbers of properties, or are you? So I ask that question a lot and then sometimes people will say, yeah, I've definitely got this definite plan. And other people say, do you know what? I'm just kind of enjoying the journey. I'm making enough money to kind of, you know, live fairly well. And so where do you fit within that? And have you got, you know, if you've got your eyes on a, a bigger prize? Sure. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Answer the <laughs> question. Um, I know. Sorry. <laughs> if you look really carefully, you can see his ego getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, okay, right. The easy bit is to say I'm somewhere down the middle. I have a rough idea in my head what sort of income I want. I don't just want that income to say I have that income. I want that income because it will facilitate the life I want in future to go off and do other things. Um, but I'm a, but I'm a self-confessed plodder. You know, I you, you go on these courses and you, you, you meet people and they say, you know, this time last year, I had been doing one property per year for the last 10 years. I've now been on this course and I've done 472 properties in six weeks. And that's brilliant. I mean, I, you know, I exaggerate, but you, we've met these people, haven't we? And, and, and that's brilliant. And they leverage and they systemize and they, they, they suddenly run multiple projects. And that's fine. And part of me would like to do that to sort of get this part of my journey out of the way. Um, but part of me is happy just to plod along, wait for the right properties, um, a guy we both know, Mark Homer, once said to me, he said, sometimes you can make your money on the properties you don't buy. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, don't, if he said, you know, if you're in a lull and you're not buying, don't just panic buy because you feel you should be buying. Just wait for those right ones to come up and do it like that. And I thought, what a really good thing to say. And that's how I go. So I'm not as, as quick as a, a acquisitions. Um, and I, I, when we were offline earlier, I said to you, you know, particularly my area, commercial conversions are becoming quite pricey in terms of the acquisition of the property because the market's being flooded with investors. So I would love to do, if I could tomorrow, I'd do another nine sugarloaves and just have a nice portfolio of 10 sugarloaves and that would be me done and dusted. 
So yes, I have a finite goal, but at the same time, I'm not going to say to you, I want to be there in one year, two year, five years. Uh, I've got time to do it. And already with what I'm doing, you know, I have a, a comfortable lifestyle. And so when I get there, I'll get there. That's the easy bit to say to you. The other bit about there is there a bigger goal or something. I have alluded to you again, you know, there are other things I want to do, but I don't want to wait till I've got to the end of my property journey to do it. And by far the, the greatest thing that property or getting into property has done for me is it's made me time rich. Um, you know, a, a very small thing. I've recently been made the director of rugby at my rugby club um, for the minis. And it's something I could never have done when I was in full-time work because I was working up in London. I was commuting and I was working all the hours God sends. And now I've got the time to take on that challenge. And that to me is genuinely more important than what money I've got in my bank account. Um, I've got one son who I love dearly and I can take him to school. I can pick him up. I can take summer holidays off. Yeah. And I literally mean the whole of the school holidays if I want Easter. And those are the intangibles that, you you can't sort of quantify and that's that's why i do this in terms of the bigger picture watch this space okay well that's not a bad slightly intriguing way to end <laughs> to end this podcast <laughs> and it's been a, it's an absolute pleasure this is one of the ones you know absolute sort of standout project for us we love we love looking at it originally and it's really nice to kind of come back and revisit it and, yeah, and i think um, it was it was the project that inspired our um your property project series i believe wow to feature so aka property porn project yeah yeah i remember when you were trying it when you were toying with the idea of of getting that through and then obviously uh i got got vetoed yeah (laughs) probably rightly so probably rightly so so um as we said earlier on if you were uh, if you listen to this you'd like to um download the, the full article you can see all the amazing pictures um read the article in 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 full you can do so at yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff and uh simon it's been a total pleasure picking up with you again and um we look forward to uh catching up with you on some future projects as well guys thank you very much thanks for having me thank you cheers Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can go to yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff. You can download the article that we create from the podcast so you can see all of the case study pictures, all the uh, financials um, and a bit more information uh, in there as well. And there's loads of other useful things to download uh, on that web page as well. And don't forget to rate, comment and subscribe to our podcast.